Ask the Lord's help before we turn to his word tonight, shall we? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the scriptures we're going to open tonight and we ask that you would speak to our hearts through them with the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that our own lives will be affected as we take on board the things they teach. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, please find uh, the book of Job in the Old Testament with me and we're turning tonight to Job chapter 37. The book of Job chapter 37. First time I went open air preaching, I went with a friend and uh, 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 another chap and, and he got up and he preached and he said, uh, in the book of Job, it says this. <laughs> and it was one of those moments I thought, I can't lose it now. <laughs> so, but Job 37 Verses 1 to 13. At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it a voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice. And he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvellously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth. Likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. He seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. The beasts go into dens and remain in their layers. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind, and cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture he saturates the thick clouds, he scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them. On the face of the whole earth, he causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Please keep your Bible open there. In 1922, a scientist, a man by the name, or a mathematician, I should say, a man by the name of Lewis Fry Richardson, reckoned that he had actually mastered a mathematical technique which could successfully predict what the next day's weather would be. And uh, up until then, you know, weather forecasting had been a bit like the man with the old rope. You know, that, that story about the man with the old rope, and he said it predicted the weather. He said, when it's, bl when it's blowing, I know there's a wind. <laughs> when it's wet, I know it's raining. <laughs> and that was what weather forecasting was pretty much like. But uh, this man said, no, we can do it by mathematics. All I need is 64,000 mathematicians and a big enough dome where each one covers a different part of the globe and every day we go through a procedure of mathematical equations and we'll be able to tell you what the weather is for the next day. Well, he only had one problem. He was 63,999 mathematicians short of being able to do it. <laughs> 
poor fellow. But he might have once been able to lead the way in weather forecasting. Of course, today we have the benefit of the Met Office, don't we? Uh, Bracknell in Berkshire, where there's something like 2,200 people who work there with computers predicting and planning the weather forecasts that we all listen to every day to find out what is going on with the weather. And you know, if I know one thing about the British people, it is this, they love to talk about the weather. You know, it's a great small talk thing, isn't it? And we're all affected by it. We're fascinated by the patterns in the weather. And it may surprise you to know this, that we're not alone in this. Because in the Bible, the Bible deals an awful lot with weather and uh, it's not something that perhaps we're immediately uh, conscious of when we come to read our Bibles but weather is a part of the created world that God has made and uh, there is a, a lot to say in the Bible about weather and you know this week we're going to be hearing a lot about weather aren't we with the uh, the climate change conference going on down in Egypt and uh, we'll be hearing what the world has to say about weather. So I thought, let's see tonight, let's hear tonight what the Bible says about weather. Let's hear the Christian view uh, about the weather and what's going on in the world. Because the Bible does have a lot to say about it. And in particular, this passage of scripture here in the book of Job teaches us some wonderful things about the weather from a biblical perspective. It comes uh, in the last part of the dialogues in the book of Job, and it's a man called Elihu who is speaking. It's a name a little bit like Elijah, and his name means who is like God. And uh, he's a young man who has come along after Job's three companions have tried to sort out the problem of Job's suffering. And they haven't been able to convict Job that he is a, a sinner and needs to repent. And so he steps forward to speak on the matter as well. And it's interesting at the end of the book of Job, God corrects the three companions who came originally, Eliphaz, Zohar and Bildad. But God never corrects Elihu. That's a fascinating thing. And if you look at the speeches of Elihu, many of the things he says are gospel perfect. There's some wonderful gospel sermons to be preached uh, in these chapters. And this, one, this passage especially is where Elihu is drawing attention to the greatness of God in the created realm. Actually in a similar way to which God himself is going to do in chapter 38. When God turns up and starts to speak to Job directly. But he does it in chapter 36 to 37 through the created weather. If you go back to chapter 36 verse 26, you'll see Elihu says this. Behold, God is great and we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. And then he starts on his dialogue about the weather and God's dealings with the weather. Matthew Henry said an interesting thing about this. He said the changes and extremities of the weather are the subject of a great deal of our common talk. And that's true. But how seldom do we think and speak of these things as Elihu does here with regard to God? And you know, that's so true, isn't it? We hardly ever hear people talk about weather from the perspective of God. Well, tonight we're going to put that right. And we're going to hear what the Bible says about God and the weather. And I want you to see three things tonight from this passage. 
First of all, I want to draw your attention to God's possession of the weather in verses 1, 2 to 4. 1 through 4. You know, uh, back in 2015, a, a story appeared in the Daily Mail about a man who was a climate researcher who had a mysterious phone call from the CIA. And he wanted to know, the person phoning from the CIA, wanted to know, would it be possible for other countries, namely Russia in particular, to be manipulating the weather? Would it be possible for them to do so? And the man who was the the climate scientist said, well, if they could do it, we would detect it. There are things like cloud seeding and things like that that we can do. But if they were manipulating the weather, then we would detect it. Will's his answer. And you know, that's uh, an interesting thing, isn't it? That many people uh, think the man has power over the weather in one way or another. In other countries, we have things like rain dancers. In Africa, they have people who do rain dancing. You know, uh, in which country is it? In Bangladesh, people perform mock weddings with frogs in the belief that that will cause rain to come. They feel that man has some sort of power over the weather. But actually, the truth of the matter is, the weather is the possession of God. And Elihu brings this out because as he's talking, the raindrops start to fall. And a storm is gathering as he is talking. In fact, in the verse before, at the end of chapter 36, thunder has clapped and it has frightened the cattle. It says in verse 33 of the previous chapter, his thunder declares it, the cattle also concerning the rising storm. And then he goes on and he talks about how the thunder even scares him. In chapter 37, verse 1, he said, At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. In other words, I jump inside like this when there's a giant clap of thunder. And he said, It frightens me. Do you know it used to frighten Caesar? Caesar used to hide under his bed. The ruler of the world used to hide under his bed every time there was a thunderstorm. Isn't that a funny thing? Thunder can be so powerful. But why? Why is that? Well, he goes on in verse 2 and he tells us, he says here, and that word here, all the Bible commentators point out, it's a plural word. So he's not just speaking to Job, he's speaking to all the people who are around listening to this conversation. And he says, hear attentively the thunder of his voice, his, God's voice, and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He's saying that the thunder comes from the mouth of God. In verse 3, he says, he sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. In other words, thunder comes from God. And he says it's his voice. It's come from his, uh, his power, his declaration. In verse 4, after it, a voice roars. That's after the lightning and the thunder then roars. He thunders with his majestic voice. And he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. So Elihu lays claim here to the fact that God is the one who possesses the weather. And it is his. It's his voice. It comes forth from him and comes forth from his mouth. And he's showing very definitely that God is in charge of the weather. Uh, I wonder whether you believe that tonight. But you know what? If you're a Christian, you should do. You should be absolutely persuaded that the weather comes not from man, but from God. 
from God. And remember what the disciples said in the boat on the lake of Galilee. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? They realised the Lord Jesus is God because he controlled the weather. They understood the weather comes from God. Now, we need to understand that this has great implications for our thinking. All right? Because the weather, therefore, is in the power of God. That means that when we read our Bibles and we see weather, we need to note that and think, well, hang on, God is doing something here in this situation with the weather. Let me give you one great illustration I'm sure you'll all think of. Think about the sky going dark over Calvary. That was God doing that. And God was doing that to send man a message about this was his son bearing our sin on the cross. And there are many, many other illustrations for this in the Bible. When we get to the end of this sermon, if I've got enough time, I'm going to give you a little index of all the weather that I've seen in the Bible and what it means and where you can find out what it means. So you know when you're reading the Bible and you see that Samuel's in a field with the, with the Israelites and there's a giant clap of thunder or there's rain pouring down on the crops, or there's a drought, you think, I know. I know what's going on here. This isn't just a freak weather event. This is God dealing. We need to remember that when we see the weather in the Bible uh, 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 and we read our Bibles together or at home. Uh, We need to remember when we watch the TV that God is in charge of the weather. You know, this week we're going to hear a lot from the climate conference And we're going to hear an awful lot about man-made global warming. And I've got no doubt that man can pollute the earth. He's polluted rivers. He's polluted the seas. He can pollute the skies as well. But don't get under the impression that even with our little bit of pollution going up in the world, that the whole thing is by man. The reason why people want to call it man-made global warming, because then it blocks out any thought that God could be doing something. And I want to tell you that's, that's not right. As Christians, we want to keep in mind the fact that God is sovereignly in control of the weather when we hear the news and when you hear things this week. And we also want to remember that when we listen to the weather forecast on the radio. You know, sometimes when we listen to the weather forecast, there can be something very important and, and we can be worried about the weather. I'll give you an illustration of this. When I was in my first church, uh, we had a, a, a group, a wonderful group of people who were first generation Christians. None of them came from Christian homes. None of them had been brought up with churchianity and didn't know a single thing. They, you know, in church, if we were singing hymns and they liked it, they said, can we have that one again, please? Someone would call out the back. They were totally relaxed and normal. <laughs> Not like us. You know? <laughs> you know, they were great. But you know what? In their, before I came along as the pastor, they did a Sunday school outing. They had big double-decker buses they'd go out on a Sunday school outing with. And they pray. They said to the bus driver, before we go off, we want to pray for the weather. We want to have a good time today. And the bus driver couldn't believe it. They were praying for the weather. For, for this Sunday school outing. And they had a glorious day. And it spoke to that bus driver. They had the ability to put the weather in the hand 
of God and you and I can do that too. I came across this wonderful testimony I've told you before but some of you may be familiar with Pastor John Hagee in America. Uh, I, I don't agree with everything he says but I like this man a lot and I like what he stands for and I, I think he's a good man. But you know what? He tells the story about his parents because he's a second generation pastor. His father was a pastor And I want to read this. He said, immediately following World War II, when steel was virtually impossible to get, my mother and father were building a church. And the foundations of their new church had been dug by hand and were wide open to the rain that was forming in black clouds overhead. If water filled the trenches of that foundation, the building program would be in utter chaos. While hanging her clothes on the clothesline in our backyard, my mother looked into those boiling black clouds and prayed, Lord God Almighty, your word says you ride on the wings of the storm and I am asking you to stop the rain and do not let the foundation of your house be destroyed. The church was one mile from our home. When mother had finished her prayer, Torrential rain gushed from the black clouds. One hour later, my father arrived home and it was still raining. How much damage has been done to the church foundation, mum asked. None, dad clapped his hands together for pure joy. I've just driven through the most savage thunderstorm I have seen all my life. But when I came within one half a mile of the church property, it was like someone had drawn a line across the highway saying that the rain could not come another inch. God heard my mother's prayer and stopped the rain to save the building program from months of delay and dollars the church didn't have. Our God controls nature. What a wonderful testimony. So you remember, God is in charge of the weather. God is his possession. And uh, when, you, when you read the Bible, when you watch the TV, when you listen to the radio and you hear the weather forecast and you're planning something, remember, God is in control. And we can put the situation about the weather into his hand and ask him for his will to be done. Second thing I want you to see from this passage is God's power in the weather in verses 5 through to 12 because in verses 5 through to 12 Elihu goes through and explains various aspects of uh, the weather and it shows God's power you know many years ago there was a a preacher by the name of David Roper he used to write for uh, our daily bread bible notes which some of you may be familiar with and David Roper was a a, a woodsman he lived out in in the uh, rural parts of North America and he loved to go fishing he loved to go hunting and walking and he loved the outdoor life and on one occasion he and a friend were going to go fishing in a series of lakes and a storm opened up above them so they sheltered underneath uh, an aspen tree and uh, as the storm got heavier and heavier and the thunder started clapping they thought we can't stay under this tree we'd better make a dash to the car when they got to the car and they got the keys in the car door do you know what happened a thunderbolt from heaven came and struck that tree where they had just been their lives were spared 
And he got to the car and he said we were just absolutely in silence <laughs> because we were stunned. We realised how close to the power of God we'd been. He said, even though I had that experience, I've never lost my love of a thunderstorm in the nature in, in America. I think I would have done. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's something, isn't it, amazing, the power of God in creation when you see a storm. And this is what Elihu is trying to get across to Job. He's saying to Job, Job, you're, you're, you're strong with what God is doing in your life and you want to go to court with him stop and think about what you're doing look at the power God has are you sure about this Job this is what he's saying and he reminds Job about God's power in the weather and that's uh, a very precious passage to help us see uh, how God uses the weather and what God how God's power is seen in the weather from man's point of view I want you to see, it makes man search in verse 5. God thunders, God thunders marvellously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. And it's true, the weather is a fascinating thing that is full of mysteries that we do not understand. Let me show you something here. Do you know what that is? It's not a UFO. It's called a hole punch cloud. And basically, you've got very cold sky with that very dense, cold air, but there's a big hole in the middle. And for a long time, scientists had no idea how this was caused. And even in, until recently, they wondered whether or not it was caused by planes going up, going through. They now know better that it is to do with the formation of the crystals in the sky. But uh, what a mystery. And for years, men didn't know how these strange Sights in the sky were formed. Well, this is what Job, this is Elihu is saying. He says he does things, great things, which we can't comprehend, even this. And it makes men search God's power in creation. It makes men stop as well. Have a look in verse 6. He says, for he says to the snow, fall on the earth, likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. He seals the hand of every man. That all men may know his work. The beasts go into dens and remain in their layers. Now I remember reading in a book by Ray Comfort, which is a really good book actually. It's a book called How to Make Atheists Backslide. Uh, and he says about this issue of the sealing of the hand of God. It's to do with the discovery of fingerprints. Now I want to tell you I love Ray Comfort, but it's not to do with the sealing of fingerprints. This is to do with the weather. And what we have in this passage is how God brings man's life to a standstill by his extreme weather. For instance, the gentle rain is fine, but the heavy rain of his strength often slows people down. And especially when we talk about the snow back in verse 6. You know, isn't it true that when we have a severe snowstorm, we often have to put a sign outside chapel, service closed. God brings us to stop. He sends the animals to their layers and man has to stop from his work. And we have to, as Job says here, as Elihu says it, that all men may know his work. <laughs> we stop our work so that we consider his work. And we're forced to stop and see the power of God. Look at these pictures, right? This was from the Times in the year 2000 in August. In August. And in one place... They are shoveling snow feet deep. That's from the Times newspaper. I've got it here if you want to see it later on. 
God can just do that if he wants to. He can send tornadoes, as we'll see in a minute, as well. And he can cause everyday life to come to a stop by the power of his weather. Isn't that amazing? One snowflake said to another, stick with me and you'll soon get the drift. And uh, those snow drifts are what hold us up sometimes, aren't they? And then thirdly, God can make man shiver. Have a look at verse 9 uh, and 10. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. And what we have here is the cold weather that comes from God through the winds and bringing the ice and the broad waters getting frozen. Broad waters meaning rivers. You know, my mum tells me about a time when the River Thames was frozen so hard in, Thames, in, in, in the Thames Valley area. Well, it would be Thames Valley, wouldn't it, where we live. And uh, she remembers seeing somebody drive a car on the River Thames. Can you imagine that? And that's not the first time that's happened. That's happened many times over the years in history. We have something in our own British history called the Little Ice Age. And you find famous pictures of, uh, the, of the River Thames in London and that, all in snow for a long time. There was a famous painter. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he was no good at painting sunsets. And when he discovered the Little Ice Age, he found he could paint in white. So he bought all the stocks of white paint and he used to paint snow skin <laughs> scenes. Uh, and that's what he's famous for. Uh, but, you know, this is what God does. He, he sends the cold and the ice and the broad rivers get frozen by the power of the cold wind coming down from, the, from Iceland or whatever to make it really cold. This is the power of God in nature. By the way, there's, there's great extremes God can go to. Have a look at this newspaper cutting I got from 2011. 47 die as the US is struck by 100 tornadoes and hailstones the size of a grapefruit. How big's a grapefruit you had for breakfast this morning? Can you imagine a hailstone that big? That's in the newspaper. That's not me making it up. Hailstones the size of grapefruits. God can make that happen. How amazing his power is. Now, by the way, I've got to say this. There's one fascinating thing that creation study Christians love about this is that here in the Middle East, you have the book of Job talking about frozen rivers. How do you get that? You wouldn't see that today. Well, the reason is, this is almost certainly where the Ice Age fits in from a Christian point of view. Job is the oldest book of the Bible. It's about the time of the patriarchs, and it's after the time of Noah's flood. And we know after the time of Noah's flood, that, that during Noah's flood, there was the opening of the foundations of the deep, the volcanic eruptions under the, uh, under the sea. This would have caused the warm water to heat up. You would have had the volcanic ash in the air and it would have caused snow. And you would have had this huge influx of snow. I remember Michael Ord, who's one of the great uh, biblical, uh, he actually is a meteorologist by trade, and he, he was a, a Christian as well, and he was speaking about it. He said, if you think about the flood, he said it was like ringing a bell. And even after the bell had been rung, it was still, <laughs> the earth was still shaking. And for a long time, the after effects after Noah's flood would have been felt. And he believes this is where the ice age fits in. It's a good theory, and it certainly seems to explain 
where the ice comes from in this passage. And then we have the fact that God in his power can soak man as well. And make man soaked in verses 11 and 12. Also with moisture he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds and they swirl about being turned by his guidance. That they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. God here is able to send rain and huge storms uh, like, say, Hurricane Katrina on areas and bring huge amounts uh, of moisture uh, and rain to the people from his clouds, even his swirling clouds, the storm clouds. And by the way, in chapter 38, you'll notice the beginning, God comes to Job in a whirlwind. And this is what's happening in the weather at that time while they're watching it. Uh, by the way, you may be interested to know in verse 11, the Hebrew word there is, is the word from which the Jews today get what's called the afberi. And the afberi or hafberi is a part of the, the ceremony for the, the, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember the eighth day, the great day of the feast, the Lord Jesus said that he, was, he could give the water of life. Well, the moisture from the clouds is when they're thanking God for the rain. This is one of the scriptures that it comes from uh, in their in their service. Uh, and they remember this verse for that purpose because God can send the rain and putting it all together. What you see here is God's power in the weather. How mighty is our God over created things? And you know what? If you don't believe that now, I want to tell you. There's a day coming in the future when everyone in the world is going to believe it. Because in the future, there's going to be two men in Jerusalem, according to Revelation chapter 11, who are going to control the weather. It's called the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, I believe it is. Elijah is going to come back, according to the last chapter of uh, Malachi, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. The terrible day of the Lord is the tribulation, and Moses and Elijah are going to come back uh, as it is in Revelation chapter 11. And they have the power over the weather. And I tell you what, they're going to make the world know that God controls the weather. It's not going to be man who's controlling the weather. And I just get tickled thinking about that. You know, the, the Antichrist, we're told, is going to hate these people. He's going to have them killed in the end. He's going to try and kill them. Have you ever thought why that is? I'm quite sure that every time he has a big publicity event, they say, Lord, send the rain over that publicity event. Every time the Antichrist comes to make a big speech, Lord, send thunder. And he can't speak. Every time he steps out of his car, Lord, a little bit of ice would be really wonderful right now. And he skids on the ice. And, you know, they're going to make the Antichrist life misery by the power of God with the weather. And the world will see that God is in charge of the weather. I think that's very interesting in the last days. I can't help imagining as well that some school children might have a little word with Moses and Elijah and say, do you think we could have a few snow days? <laughs> and given the curriculum in the schools now and what they will be then, I'm quite sure Moses and Elijah would oblige. God is in power over nature and his power is seen. This is what we call uh, general revelation and it points us to the existence and reality of our God. The third thing I want you to see is the final thing, but it's, a, it's the important thing, is God's purposes in the weather. 
And this is what we see in the last verse, verse 13. Bring it all together. He says he causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. And what Elihu says at the end of this speech about the weather is God uses the weather for his purposes. Now, we have to be absolutely clear in our understanding. There are some places that get weather by nature of their geography. If you go to the desert, you're going to get sun. If you go to the North Pole, you're going to get snow. Do you know there's a place in Uganda called Tororo where between 1967 and 1976, scientists did 10 years of research and they found every year that, that part of Uganda gets about 251 days of thunder. Can you imagine that? Thunderstorms for nearly the whole year round, nearly every day, is to do with the geography of that place. So there are some places and some situations where we just have to accept this is the geography, this is the nature of the situation. But according to Elihu, God uses the weather, and especially uh, extreme weather, for three things. First of all, he uses it for correction. As he says here in verse 13, weather for correction. Now think about this in the Bible. Did God not use a storm when Jonah went away from the Lord? He did, didn't he? He used the storm to bring Jonah to his senses and to come back home. God was using the weather for correction. In fact, if you read in Deuteronomy 28, you'll find that one of the things God said to Moses to tell the people was that when they went away from, the, went away from him, the heavens would be like brass. It wouldn't rain and they would be brought to their senses by drought that actually they'd gone away from the Lord. And weather is used for correction by God. I wonder how many of you remember in 1984 when lightning struck the, the, the roof of York Minster Cathedral at the inauguration of the Bishop of Durham, David Jenkins. Uh, a man who denied the virgin birth and denied the resurrection and out of a clear blue sky God sent man a message I don't like it can I tell you something last week do you remember what last weekend's weather was like do you remember what last Saturday, Sunday, Monday the weather was like you remember the rain last week torrential rain what was happening last weekend Halloween. And God is sending a message. One of the, one of the weather uh, patterns that uh, I'll tell you about in a minute is heavy rain. Heavy rain in the Bible is a mark of God's displeasure. You see that not only in the flood, when God sent the flood as a judgment in the days of Noah, but you see it in passages like Ezra chapter 10, when the people had gone into marrying foreign wives and they all came to Jerusalem in the end for a big conference to try and sort it out. And Ezra reports the fact that there was this heavy rain falling. It's a mark of God's displeasure. And correction comes often through the, uh, through the weather. Another reason God gives, uses the weather, another purpose of God is for weather is for his land, as it says there, for his land. And this is the, obviously the purpose of irrigation and causing food and things to grow. This is a part of what we call 
common grace. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 and 45, the Lord Jesus told us to love our enemies and do good to even those who hate us. And he says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God, by his Good to mankind in general sends rain to make their crops grow. We see that in Psalm 104 as well. And this is what we remember at harvest. In Acts 14 verse 17, uh, Paul said this was a testimony to the Lord. He said, nevertheless, he, that's God, did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So one of the purposes for weather is for his land and the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But I want to narrow that just a little bit more and twist the lens and focus it in on his land. What is his land? It's Israel. He says that it's his land in, in the law. And here's a fascinating thing. You know, Israel, the land of Canaan, the land that, that promised land has always suffered drought unless the people of God are living in that land. And you can follow the, water, the charts of irrigation and, and rainfall and you can see when, like in 1948, it spiked back up again when the people came back to the land. When the people started buying the land uh, in the days before, in the days of the Zionist movement, 350,000 um, uh, square kilometres of land were purchased. And almost as soon as they, they bought it, God started sending heavy rain to end that drought. And make things grow in that place. And if you look on a map of the Middle East. You'll find one little green slither amongst all the yellow. And it's the land of Israel. And it's a testimony uh, of God to his people. God's purposes in this weather is for correction and for his land. But it's also for mercy. Also for mercy. That's what it says in verse 13. Or for mercy. And the word mercy there is the word Hebrew word chesed, which means covenant mercy. It's his deliverance, his favour and kindness, compassion, uh, covenant love. And in the Bible, we see many illustrations of how God uses the weather to rescue his people. If you think in the book of Judges about the time when Deborah and Barak were fighting off Sisera and Jabin up in the north of Israel. If you read in Judges chapter 5, Deborah's song afterwards, you'll, you'll realise it wasn't just a battle that was won by swords and bows and arrows. It was a battle that was won by God sending the weather. And she says how he sent torrents of rain, how their chariots got bogged down, and all this sort of thing happened, how God was fighting with the weather for his people. That was his mercy to protect his people. We see that again and again through scripture. We see it in prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Gog and Magog war. When the Russian invasion of Israel happens in the last days, what does God use to stop them? A nuclear bomb? No. He causes the wind and the hail and the rain and he, he, he deals with them. It's what happened in Joshua's great campaign when the armies came together against them. And God, he prayed that God would make the sun stand still and God sent hail. And here's a fascinating thing. The hail hit only the enemies of Israel. Now you talk about marksmanship. Think about that. Hail, which is coming from way up in the sky, up in the atmosphere, only hit the enemies of Israel and took them out. Isn't that fantastic? 
God's power is for his mercy in, in, in the weather. And when we look in history, when people have sought to walk with the Lord, God has shown that same favour to them. We see how God stopped Napoleon by the snow that came a whole month early and brought his troops to an end when they went to invade Russia. The same thing happened when Hitler went to invade Russia in, uh, in the Second World War. I've got a book here. You want to know why I'm interested in this? This all started when I was a child and my grandfather died. And in his library, which I inherited, I've got this little book called Because of the Weather, An Appeal to the Nation. It's written in 1944 by a man called G.F. Valance, who was an evangelist during the war. And he lists all the times when God used the weather during the war to rescue the British and how it follows times of prayer as a nation. One of those times was Dunkirk when we had our troops to rescue and God sent unusual calmness over the sea. He sent a fog that clouded out one side so the Germans couldn't see the troops retreating. He made winds come not from the sea onto the land, which is the normal way, but from the land onto the sea to push all those little boats back to England. It's all there, including Winston Churchill's speeches on the very matter. It's an amazing thing. God in his mercy has used the weather. And we can pray in the last days that we're in that God can use the weather as well to help his cause in the gospel and help his people there are many ways in which that can be done so i hope tonight i've excited you to see god's hand in the weather this is not just small talk for the british people this is not just uh climate change phobia and things that are going on in the news this is a biblical thing it's the world we live in and our great creator god is in charge of it all let me just now give you uh, a brief index of biblical weather and then I'll close. So first of all, heavy rain. I, I did start putting all these on the PowerPoint, but it just got too many. and I'm sorry I haven't been able to put them up, but I'll do it quickly, audibly. Heavy rain is a sign of God's displeasure in judgment, as we see in Ezra chapter 10, Genesis 7, Ezekiel 38, and especially 1 Samuel 12, verse 18, where the heavy rain came on Israel where, uh, in the days of Samuel when they'd gone away from the Lord. Showers, light showers, are a mark of God's blessing. In the book of Ezekiel 34, 26, we talk about the showers of blessing that God would send on the land. And in the book of Joel, it talks about the early and latter rains. These are the, 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 the rains that water the crops. The wind is a fascinating one, and this is something I'm always picking up on. The wind in the Bible is a mark of spiritual activity. You know, when we have a big howler blowing through, that's not just the weather. That's a mark of spiritual activity, according to the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, we're told that God makes the angels his servants like flames of fire and winds. When Jesus went out on the Lake of Galilee on the boat and he was going to the other side, he tried to, well, he didn't try, he did stop the wind. And he said, be still. In, in Greek, it's be muzzled. Who was he stopping? The evil spirits who were trying to stop him get across to the other side to the man at the Gadarenes who he was going to deliver. 
The, the wind is a mark of spiritual warfare. Earlier this year, we had a massive, massive howling wind that took the roof off somebody's garage here in this church. You know what happened not many days after that? Russia invaded Ukraine. It's a mark of spiritual activity uh, in the world. Then we have thunder. Thunder is a mark of the fear of God and God bringing fear onto man. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 7 uh, in various passages in Revelation uh, Revelation 8, Exodus chapter 19 at Mount Sinai. It's what in Job 37 as well is used to bring the fear of God. The drought is a mark of judgment, Deuteronomy 28 and 1 Kings 17. The snow is a weapon of war and is uh, particularly used by God. Job 38, 22 to 23, he brings it out of his treasuries for times of war. The sunshine is a picture of God himself and his warmth and love and radiance. And we see that in Psalm 84, 11, uh, among other places. And lightning is uh, a picture of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew 24. But lightning is also a description of the activity of angels uh, in Ezekiel chapter 1, where they move like lightning. And Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The dew is a picture of the Holy Spirit coming down in Psalm 133 and a cloudy day is a very interesting one to watch out for. A cloudy day is a picture of the second coming of Christ when he comes with the clouds. And what a glorious note to end the message on tonight. We're looking for those clouds even now, aren't we? I pray this will be a blessing to you. Thank you for your patience tonight.